Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Pastor James Biddle and Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Remember, we are blessed to be a blessing. Father, I just ask that you would um, somehow humbly use me in the words that I have in, in my just feeble preparation. God, I believe, though, that you have put something in my heart to share, and I just pray that today it would be communicated from heaven. I pray that there would be a divine download. And Lord, whatever it is that you're wanting to transform inside each one of us, that we may know you more, that we may bring you glory in the earth and see your kingdom come. I pray that it be accomplished today. Amen and amen. So last week we did begin this series, A Man After God's Own Heart. And Pastor James laid the foundations discussing, you know, what we would be talking about for the next few weeks. And this morning, I really, I want us to focus on this one individual, but let me define a few phrases and lay a little bit of historical context for us before we dive into David. David is a good name, isn't it? We like it. The phrase, after one's heart, simply means someone that is in compliance with one's intent, in alignment with their will or inclination. So in current use, this will be the same as someone that I can agree with. To be in compliance with one's will means that someone is in agreement with that person's will. And so when we talk about David being someone who is after God's heart, I believe that there was something inside David that had connected to something inside God and it had radically changed the bent of his heart. I think even in David's frailties and failings, you see that there is still that his heart is angled towards God, even in his mistakes. And we'll talk about that later this morning. And so when we're talking about someone after God's heart, we want to talk about someone whose heart and desires are congruent with his. And I think this morning we can be challenged by David. And so the foundational verse I want to read quickly is as Paul is speaking to the people in Antioch in Acts 13, 21 through 23, uh, he says this. He says, all this took about 450 years. And after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. And verse 21 says, then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish. So Paul's kind of doing like a review of Israel history here. And he says, I gave him Saul of the tribe of Benjamin who ruled 40 years. And after removing Saul, he made David their king. And God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. This is a little mind-boggling to me of how God made covenant with David despite his frailties. Brings me a lot of hope. Brings me a lot of courage. Throw up the timeline real quick and just as I paint a little bit of context. So basically in about 1650 over here, you have the Exodus, right? They're coming out of Israel and they wander in the, in the desert for 40 years roughly. There's a few years in between, uh, that really don't get cataloged very well. And as Israel comes kind of into their own finally, you have a period where there's not much structure or leadership. And that's the period we refer to as the period of the judges. And so the period of the judges, you have a, a man that would would raise up as as needed, really, kind of on a as-the-need-no basis, you know. Um, as the people really began to stray or there was a situation that needed to be addressed, a judge would, would kind of be brought up by the Lord, and he would, he would deal with those issues. That's where we get Gideon and uh, Deborah, Deborah. We get all these different judges that we know of, 
that handled situations. And then following the judges, they began to realize the Israelites had no structure to defend themselves. They didn't have a military, and so they desired a king and a kingdom. And so they, at this point, though, the judges have kind of transitioned out, and a prophet has kind of taken the place of where a judge had been that, that figurehead. You had Eli in the house of God, and then you had Samuel following him. And so Samuel comes in, and that's right around the time that we meet Saul. Samuel would anoint Saul as king because Samuel had been acting, again, as that figurehead as a prophet, bringing the word of the Lord, correction and alignment and what kind of structure that they needed, but it was still very loosely organized. And so Samuel hears the people's cries for a king and is just frustrated, literally if I'm allowed to say it, he's pissed off with his country. I'm not allowed to say it for some, I guess. <laughs> so he's just, he's had it. And Samuel realizes when he goes to God, God says to him, they have not rejected you, Samuel. They have rejected me as their king. Because they're crying out for a king. They need something to look at, to touch, that would lead them, that would guide them. Takes me back to Moses with Aaron. Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with the Lord. I don't know where this dude Moses went. All the Israelites are crying. We need something to worship. Here, here's my earrings. Here's my necklace. Make me something to worship. Moses comes down. There's a golden cow. What in the world happened? I was gone for just a few days. 40. But he, they didn't, they didn't want to have a relationship with someone that seemed so terrifying and surreal and holy that they couldn't approach. They felt like he was unapproachable. And so they're like, give us someone that looks like us. Give us someone that we can touch, that we can count on. And so they asked for a kid. Yeah, so they got a cow. They got a golden cow, right? They needed something that they felt like made sense to them. And according to the culture of their day, somehow that made sense to them to worship that cow rather than a fearful God on a mountaintop. And so here Samuel is in his frustration, and he was pretty mad. He was pretty mad, Kelly. He was mad. He says, fine. And he anoints Saul. And Saul was tall, dark, and handsome, for lack of better words. He was every, he was a man's man. He was who you would have thought should have been the leader in that day. And, and God begins to use Saul. He begins to use him. Because in this point, the Philistine were Israel's sworn enemies. The Philistines kept popping up, causing a stink, causing trouble. And he had just had it, and the people had had it. And so with Saul anointed as king, we begin to see that things begin to shift in the culture of this now kingdom. So Saul reigns over Israel starting around about 1010 B.C. And it was peacefully a peaceful reign, but it did not last. And we see one of the most famous events in Saul's life, where the young man that we're talking about today is from a great big guy named Goliath and the Philistines, right? And so we'll pick up a little bit there to kind of understand a little bit about David. So Saul seeming very capable, that tall, dark, handsome young man that had been appointed was now facing some things that he couldn't still accomplish. But here comes a young man out of the shadows. And out of the shadows, we begin to see that David, David begins to, we get a, we get a few stories about him that really we have to kind of take in bits and pieces. And so if you'll throw up there 1 Samuel 16. 
verse 7. This is where Saul, I'm sorry, which, which one did I have up there first? Is that it? Okay. So we see that while before even Goliath appears on the scene, I want to go back and show you why David was even chosen. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height. This is the anointing of the next king, for I have rejected him. It would be years to come. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So David is roughly somewhere between 10 and 15 years of age. We're not given a whole lot in timeline. We only know David was 30 when he became king. So we have to rewind quite a few years and try to understand why wasn't David on the front lines with his brothers against Goliath? Well, because he was probably under the age of 20. That's the assumption that that is the year to be able to enlist, so to speak, and be a part of battle. And so David wasn't a part of that. So he was probably 17, 18, maybe 19. And so rewinding even a little bit further, we believe he's probably somewhere between 10 and 15 when this is occurring. And we know that when his other brothers came first in, in sequence, well, here's the oldest. This must be the one God's going to anoint because Samuel was told to go to this house to anoint the next king that would follow Saul. Surely it's going to be the ones that seem most qualified on the outside. But God doesn't exactly work that way. So what seems to be qualification on the outside, and I tell you, I struggle with this every week. I feel like many of the qualifications that I have don't line up with the positions I'm in. And so I know that, God, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to surround me with people to remind me that, that, God, I have to lean on you for what you have. But there was something inside of David that qualified him outside of what physical appearance would give us. And so we know from this passage that, that David came from a field. When he was brought in as the youngest, he had been out there watching over the sheep. And so why would there be anything in David that would qualify? What happened in that field? What had happened in these 10 to 15 years when he's anointed that had qualified him and aligned his heart to already be a heart that was after God's? And this is what I kind of want to discover with you this morning. And so the first thing I want to talk about, where really I believe is the foundation of who David was, and that was worship. Worship. So we know David was not only talented, but he was anointed on the harp. You see, when Saul had kind of fouled up his ability to be king, he lost, he lost his right to remain king when he decided not to destroy everything the Lord had told him to destroy. He didn't kill off the king. He didn't crush the idols. He took a little bit of plunder. He didn't want to kill everything. He didn't want to be fully obedient to what the Lord said. He felt like maybe he had a better plan. And that disqualified him from continuing his kingship. And so we learned that during that time where the spirit of the Lord really had been on Saul was removed from him and evil spirits were sent to torment him. And this is where David would come in and begin to play his harp that I believe, I see David on the mountainside. No scripture gives us this. I see David on that mountainside just kind of tooling around, playing that harp, worshiping the Lord out there with his sheep, doing what he was required to do for his family, but encountering God in a real way that laid foundations for what God was going to use him for. And so worship was already something that David had been set apart for. I believe that in that field, David began to write many of the lyrics that we read today in the Psalms. I believe that as a young man, those words had already been penned 
and etched on his heart. There was a spirit within him that was bent from a young age. And Branson, Bryce, I want you to hear this because I believe that this is these are crucial years that you have to be able to say, I am going to know God for who he is and I'm going to let him fully know me. The years we have when we are young, we will never have again. Not to say that right now where you're at despite our age or where we may be, that we can't encounter him and press into him. But the oh man, we don't have the baggage and the things that we bring into life and responsibilities that as a young man like David, he can just enjoy the Lord and let that direct his heart. And I believe that's where he became a man after God's own heart. It reminds me a lot of honestly what began to happen in my teen years. I know when the Lord wrecked my life, He took me to the secret place. When He, when He got a hold of me in public, He took me somewhere in private that I had never been before. And that was at His feet. And that was the first time that I would open the Word of God. Having grown up in Christian school all my life, all of a sudden those words became real. Because I was in front of the living God. And so I know that in those teen years, God can craft us. And the experiences I had in my teen years, I know I'm still paying dividends for. There's no doubt in my mind. And I know that when we look at the life of David, we see that that's exactly what happens for him. Why would he be chosen as king? We know some of the things that he did and what we're going to discuss today, how he just flubbed up even after that point but there was something internally that was already angled towards God. So how can we set those foundations in our heart as well? How can we become a man, a woman, a person after God's own heart? Regardless, again, of what stage or age of life you may be at, I believe that we can get away with God, and we can do it in the midst of our duties and obligations. We can do it through prioritizing our time and our schedule. We can begin to learn a life of worship and intimacy with God that no one can hand to us, but only you can develop with Him. I know that we can watch others in admiration of when they worship. And that's great to see people. I, I was encouraged when I was a young man and still to this day of people that are passionate in worshiping God, but I know I have to pave my own way. If I want to have a real and intimate relationship with him, no one can hand that to me. It has to be mine. Nobody's going to give that to you, Branson. If you want to know God, that's completely up to you. Surround yourself with people that will imitate that. But I'm telling you, if you're going to know God, when you go back to Peru, no one else is going to hand you their relationship with God and say, here, wear this. It is between us and Him to do business with Him and allow Him to craft our heart. I believe because of, because of this relationship that was deeply intimate with the Lord from the hillside as a boy, that David prepared himself for the things of the rest of his life. Let's talk about the next point that I want to share with you, and that's friendship. I believe because David related to the Lord intimately and vulnerably, he was able to have real and genuine relationships in his life. I'm talking about Jonathan. And because David was had created this ability within himself with the Lord, I see Jonathan's reaction to David as he sees what just happened with Goliath. And we read in 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 5, he says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. 
And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army and this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. Later on, Jonathan would warn David of when his father Saul was actually coming after him to kill him. Jonathan would risk his own life because of this friendship. When we open ourselves up to the Lord to allow healing in our own relationships, we open up ourselves to be able to have real relationships here on earth. You know, there's four key areas that we focus on at Kiko of, of, um, of seeing restoration and redemption. We want to see restoration with, with man and God, with man and self, and with man and others, with creation, how we interact with our work ethic, with the man next door, with our name, you know, whatever it may be. And then we, we want to see this happen because this is God's whole redemption plan. It's not just man and God. That'd be great, but then you got to deal with people, right? I've heard, I heard a pastor at that funeral. He actually said, man, I love, I love being a pastor, but the people. <laughs> I was like, what? That's like, I love being a shepherd, but the sheep. Oh, man, you just like being in the field. You like being outside, but you hate being with animals. <laughs> I don't get it, but I do get it. So God's redemption that happens between us and the Lord, it doesn't stop there, right? That's only a partial view of full redemption. It then becomes a part of how we view ourselves and how we will relate to others, and it becomes a restoration in all areas of our life. That's God's redemption. And so when we open up ourselves in relationship with God, we see that we then open up ourselves in friendship with others, that we can have genuine community. You know, we're pushing for community here. Life groups are important. I believe that we should be in discipleship and growth with one another. But if you haven't been before the Lord, you're going to stunt your community growth as well. So it goes both ways. You know, I, I, this last year, I feel like the Lord, and this has kind of been a running joke, Candy's keeps pointing to, I don't think you realize how much your family past is really influencing you. I don't think you realize how much your upbringing has kind of wired you the way you are. No, no, I'm, I'm who I am because I want to be this. This is not. But then I go to meet with a, a counselor, and what is he? He recommends a book, and I start reading. It's all about my past, and I got to deal with my feelings, Carrie, and I don't want to do that. But I realize that a lot of who we are is obviously because of where we've come from. And if we don't get before the Lord and deal with some of those things, we'll never become who God's created us to be. Even though we may have a father that wasn't perfect, if we don't get before our Heavenly Father who was, we'll never have those wounds truly healed. This is in every area of our life. If we can't forgive ourselves of some of the sins and the shames that we're carrying, we'll never be able to trust the Lord in the valley of the shadow of death. We won't be able to do it because we'll still think, oh, God's against me. He's not going to fight my battles because I did X. But that's not the God we serve. That's the God that we think we would be if we were him. He's totally different. He's totally different. And so the third thing I want to talk about, and I'm not telling you how many points I have. I'll tell you when to come up here. I made that mistake last time. I have 28 points with 30 sub points. The third thing I want to talk about that we learned from David, a man after God's own heart, 
Worship set up the foundation for the rest of his life. Friendship evolved out of that because he was able to be genuine before God. But trust. I talk about how David was able to trust God in the face of grave difficulties. How he had seen God protect on that hillside. Again, we only get some of these things in bits and pieces from stories later on in David's life. And so I try to put them together in my mind of how I believe it worked out. And so when David was taking some sandwiches to his brothers, literally he'd stop by Subway, got some $5 footlongs. You know why David picked up five smooth stones, right? He was like singing $5 foot. He was swinging his little Subway bag. He's like, five stones, come on now, here we go. And so he had been swinging them Subway bags, and now he had his slit, he was ready. So he did. It literally says he took some, some sandwiches. Did you know he took cheese too to like some of the captains? He was like buying some brownie points. He took them some cheese and stuff. So the scripture tells us that while he's taking this food to his brothers, it says in 1 Samuel 17, David says to Saul, you're not able to go out. Saul actually replies to David, says, you're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. Because David, you know the story, had seen him, had seen the giant, and had seen what had happened in the fields and knew that his God was able. He says, you're a, only a young man. <laughs> you're not, I've, this guy's been a warrior since his youth, and you're in your youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Okay, that's great. So what? When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go. I hope God will be with you. I think hope was in the original Hebrew, but you don't see it there. Good luck, buddy. I'll be back here. <laughs> David had a foundation of trusting the Lord because he recounted his faithfulness from the previous days. He remembered it, and I think so often, this is why I believe the Lord set up days of remembrance. Why you see a tower of rocks where this used to be called Gilgal, now it shall be called Bethel, a house of God. This is why we would have pillars in remembrance and, and, and edifices that they would create because there was so important. It was so important to both God because it was important to a man's heart to remember what God had done before. If we forget what he's done before, we'll forget what he's able to do right now and in the future. We'll forget that he can still do that. He will do it again. He will do it again. He will do it again. It's so important to remind ourselves before the Lord of his faithfulness. It is vital, literally life-giving, to recount the victories of God in our lives. Revelation 12.11 says this. It says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Part of our weapons is recounting God's faithfulness. That's our testimony. God has been faithful. He'll do it again. I can trust Him wholly. I have been with Him. I have intimately known Him. He has revealed Himself to me and He knows me fully. I am able to have restoration with man and I can trust Him. He is a God worthy of my trust. And this is why God would remind us to remember how he has been faithful. Somebody needs to remember that. Somebody is in here this morning, and I believe that God wants to rename some strongholds you've been carrying. 
And it's going to be when you're before the Lord, God's going to begin to remove some of these things that have tormented you for years. And he's going to rename those where there had been shame. He's going to replace with his acceptance. Some of you where there has been literally depression, he is going to rename that, remove it, and give you his oil of gladness. I just feel that this morning. Whatever it is you're facing, God is wanting to rename and replace in your life. Another thing that I believe that David shows us in his life is how he would honor, honor those even before him when it seemed like their days were up. I may not agree with everything that Barack or Trump or any of these officials may do. I may not agree with most of what they do. But you know what? There are a lot of things in each one of them that I can say, man, I'm, I'm glad that happened. I'm glad, not so glad that happened. I'm glad this happened. And there are things that even in their timing, I know that if we are as a people praying and believe that we are praying and, and God is appointing our officials either before, because our country has come to a precipice of, of his judgment and we need mercy or because we believe that this is God's man for God's hour, whatever it may be, there is timing in a lot of what is happening. And David saw that with Saul. He would not touch Saul, God's anointed, until it was God's time. And David spent much of his life on the run after being anointed, after even being elevated and recognized. He spent a lot of his life after that on the run. On the run. Not exactly how you would think a king would be in preparation. He was working his calves and that was about it. He was working how he could, his espionage and how to hide better. And that was really about it. But Saul, while tormented by this evil spirit, he ruled in jealousy over David and his success. And he wouldn't see them as on the same team. He couldn't be happy for what God was doing in someone else's life. There was literally a demonic jealousy. You know, sometimes when I, I read the prodigal story, I wonder, you know, a lot of times we're, we're claiming this for the prodigal. God's going to bring him back home. But many times when they come back home and God begins to use them, we'll begin to react like the older brother. And we'll begin to see we're not on the same team. We can't be happy for other people as God begins to work in their lives and we begin to see restoration. And instead of being able to celebrate with someone else, we have to be jealous and wonder, why didn't you do that for me? We learn about honor from the life of David. In 1 Samuel 23, 16 through 18, Jonathan goes to David and the scripture says, and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul, he's not going to lay a hand on you. You're going to be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Jonathan went home, but David remained there at Horesh. But listen to what happens in the very next chapter, in chapter 24, of 1 Samuel, starting with verse 2. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David. 3,000. 3,000 of the best. Looking for one guy. We're watching this new show. I don't even know if I should talk about it. Shooter on Netflix. Really good. You're going to like it. He's a sniper. And uh, and you, you find out that he's been set up and uh, all these guys are after him and it's one man on a hunt to clear his name. And I think about one man, yeah, there's my plug for it right there. But I think about this one man 
who's on a hunt to simply stay alive, keep his name clean, don't step ahead of God's timing. And here Saul is sending out 3,000 of the most able young men from all Israel to look for him. And he comes in verse 3 to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself, and David and his men were far back in the cave. And the men said, hey, this is the day the Lord spoke of. This is it. They even said, this is what God had appointed you for. Sometimes we have to remember that God will never honor us in a way that is dishonoring to someone else. He will never elevate us on top of the heads of of the people before us. Saul says, Samuel, I'm sorry, who, who are we talking about? David. David says, no. They quote, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And then David crept up unnoticed. He cut off the corner of Saul's robe, didn't kill him. But afterward, David's conscience was, it was just ruining him for having done that. And in verse 6, he says to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. Saul left the cave and went his way. He had no idea David had even been there. I believe David understood the principle that Peter talks about in 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. We learn something remarkable about David in honoring those that have come before us. Even when it seems like the Lord has removed his anointing from them, David was not willing to take things into his own hand. The Lord will do it. I just need to stay low. I just need to stay out of the way and watch God fight my battles. That's what really Michael was sharing at the sermon. He preached uh, at the funeral, um, the son of the man who passed away, preached that song, The Lion and the Lamb, basically preached it. He's like, I just need to get low. I just need to get low. I just need to get down and watch, watch the lion come and fight my battles. I just got to get out of the way. I just have to decrease so that he must increase. And I believe David understood this. David knew the Lord. David knew that he was the only one that could promote him and esteem him to the place in the right time. And David didn't always get this right. And this is another area where I can relate to the relate to David. I've not taken another man's wife as David did, but I do sense the struggle to wait and not take something out of season from God's timing. And this is something that we can glean from David. David, David may be across the line, but immediately he had a heart that was willing to repent. That's the sign of humility. A heart that is quick to repent. And we'll talk about that in a minute. The next point I want to talk about of my 38, it's increasing, isn't it? I'm getting you guys to your floats. Don't worry, we're on time. Is missed potential. So David longed for God's presence and his desire caused him to want to build an edifice, a house, a place where God could reside. Because remember, up to this point, God's presence has been in a tent on the move. It's been basically REI at this point for God's presence. But David wants to have a permanent home for him to be able to reside so that the people of God can come and be with him. Because David knew this would change the nation. He desired God's presence. God's presence couldn't be contained within a building, though. 
And, but we see David's attempt in 2 Samuel 6. He begins to bring the ark. How many of you guys are familiar with when David tries to bring the ark in, right? There's kind of some crazy stuff that happens. David is so excited about bringing the presence of God to Jerusalem. He's going to establish the kingdom. He's been, he's now king over Judah and Israel, and he wants to bring God's presence to the, to the new city that is going to be over all of Israel. And, and as they're carrying it, you start to see it kind of teeter and totter and, Uzzah puts his hand out and literally God's anger like fries the guy right there because he had disregard for God's holy presence. And David's like, okay, let's just, let's just set it here for a little bit and let's figure out what we need to do next because I don't think we want that to happen again. But David was so hungry for his presence to be where he was in Jerusalem, reigning and ruling. He didn't want to reign and rule without God's presence. He didn't want that. That wasn't what his desire was. He knew God's presence had to be central in this kingdom if it was going to be a kingdom that would work. It was going to be God's kingdom. And so David, he's like, okay, well, we left it at so-and-so's house right where that happened, and that dude's being blessed. I don't know if y'all have heard, but that guy is blowing up. I mean, he got the scratch-offs, won. He, he was at the derby, got it. Uh, he justified, you know, whatever. So... David's like, okay, that guy's had enough. We're bringing it here. We're going to try this again. So they get it. And David is so excited. That's how it happened, Katie. You're, you're smiling and laughing, but that's true. So the guy was blessed. David was envious. He's like, okay, let's do it again. They bring it in. And this is where David just goes crazy. He's like, yes, God's presence is almost here. And as it's entering the city, David is in his skivvies, okay? He's in like a loincloth at this point, just with total disregard for cultural customs, and what is appropriate for a king. And Michael, who is Saul's daughter, who is now David's wife, just despising him. What kind of, I've grown up in a king's house. This is no way for a king to act and just, just rails him. And David's like, oh, you've seen nothing yet. If you thought I was crazy for God's presence then, it's about to get worse. I'm going to go nuts when God shows up. Because he had such a hunger. Such a hunger. How much disregard for all cultural customs will we have because of our hunger for God's presence? I'm not talking about running around in church in your underwear. Let's get that correct. We talked to Pastor James about that. But because of this desire, we see the, that Nathan the prophet, this is after Samuel, is sent to David in 2 Samuel 7. Allow me to read a few verses here just so you can get the picture of, of David's desire from the hillside and what it's led to. Second Samuel 7, starting in verse 3. So Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. The Lord's with you. But that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build my house, to uh, build for me a house to dwell in? I've not dwelled in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture. Why would he remind him through the prophet of where he started? Because it had to do with the desire for God's presence. That's what happened in that pasture. Guarantee it. Because of this reference right here. I took you from that pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. What happened in that pasture is what qualified him to be that. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. 
Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth. And when your days are over, you will rest with your ancestors. And I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and your own flesh and blood. I will establish their kingdom. Speaking of Solomon here. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. This is no longer Solomon. This is Jesus. And when he does wrong, I will punish him. This is going back to Solomon. (laughs) I will punish him with a rod wielded by men with floggings inflicted by human hands. Part of this is predictions of what even Jesus, I believe, would go through. But my love will never be taken away from him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you? This has epigenetic meanings, meaning I believe it was applied both to the men that would follow David as well as the lineage of our Savior that were embodied in Christ. So he's establishing a throne because of David's desire Check this out, because of David's desire for God's presence. Now, did David get it all right? We know he didn't. We know he didn't. And David responds with gratitude in 2 Samuel chapter 8. It's like, God, how could you remember me? I'm just a man. Humility. He was king, but he knew who he was in his heart of hearts. He was just a man before God. He was transparent and humble and honest with himself and honest with the Lord. But because of David's bloodshed, that covenant was not allowed for David, but for David's successor, his son Solomon. Because David had been a man of war, he would not be allowed, and we get that from other scriptures, he would not be allowed to be able to build that house and finish it in his days. It would have to follow him in his son's lineage. So we think about some of the things that make David, again, number six, a man that is to be repeated is his quickness to repent. How is he a man after God's own heart when he seriously messed up? Let's look at one of those. We've seen his good, bad, and ugly, but we've also seen some of his great victories. I mean, they were literally singing his praises. They were singing, Saul has slain his thousand, but David, you see that ten thousands. You see that? You see what David did? And I bet that's why Saul chased him. They were literally singing his praises, but he got soft in his ability to maintain his integrity as he climbed the ladder, saw success. He was out of place and vulnerable, and he begins to fall into traps of his own lust, and he sees Bathsheba literally taking a bath. Is that why she's named Bathsheba? Just kidding. You know the story she conceives. David crafts a plan to trick her husband. Like literally tries to get David to come back from war. Hey, go see your wife. Y'all hang out a little bit. He refused. Dang it. David's thinking, now what am I going to do? All right, put him on the front lines. Everybody draw back. Essentially has Uriah killed in battle. Because he had done something that he shouldn't. And Nathan the prophet has to come to David. And confront him for his sin. And it says in 2 Samuel 12, 12 through 14, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because you did this, your son will. The son that you conceived with Bathsheba. And she would later conceive Solomon following that. And that would be who would rise up and continue the legacy. His heart was conditioned to respond to the Lord. Even when David didn't get it right, What made David a man after God's own heart? He was quick to repent. He was quick to repent when the Lord confronted him. Oh, man. 
it's me. I have. I did that. I'm owning it. I'm repenting of that. And if you read Psalm 51 and parallel that with some of what we read in 2 Samuel, you see how he laid prostate and just cried out to God. No one could get him off the ground, couldn't get him to eat, couldn't get him to drink. I mean, when I say he repented, he didn't say, oh God, I'm sorry. All right, let's go back to what I was doing before. No, I mean, he felt it. He owned it and he repented. God, no, how could I have done this? And this is what I believe made him a man after God's own heart. He was quick to repent and humbly accept his place in life in every situation. But his legacy, his legacy is what I want to talk about now. David's desire was carried on, and you can come up now and play these. (laughs) Bruce, you want to come? He doesn't want to come up anymore for me. But wrapping up and talking about David's legacy, Angela, are you going to play this morning? You can. Ice creaming. David's desire was carried on in his son. Solomon would be able to complete the dwelling place for God's presence, the temple. And as God saw it fit, our Savior would come from his lineage. Go look in Matthew. Look in Luke. Look in some of these. It doesn't come from one of other, one of David's other wives. That Jesus, literally the lineage of Jesus, we see David, son of Jesse, and then you see Solomon, son of Bathsheba. Even in David's wrongdoing and brokenness, somehow God honored his bent in his heart. That he was still a man that was willing to repent, to take ownership, to be humbly corrected before God because there was something in him that had already been connected to the living God. He knew who God was and he allowed himself to be known by God that even when he needed to be corrected, his rod and his staff, they can comfort me. Even your correction, Lord, I receive and embrace. David, because of his heart, saw a legacy that would bring not only a house with which God would dwell, but literally the flesh that would wrap up the Son of God. God wants to know if you will pursue Him, will you intertwine your heart with His? Will you worship Him and get to know Him? Will you learn of His faithfulness to defeat your enemies? Will you be a man or a woman after God's heart? I believe that it's going to set us up as we begin to allow ourselves to be vulnerable for the Lord. It's going to set us up for real community with one another. It's going to set us up to be able to see what God wants to do in our lives because we have seen his faithfulness in our past and we can trust him. We're going to honor those who have gone before us and know that his timing is, is right. Not try to rush it, fabricate it. And even when we mess up, we're going to be quick to repent. Because God has somehow, he's gotten a hold of our heart. We've allowed him to do this. God has done great things for us. God has great things for us. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I believe that we see a lot of great things in David. And I I also believe we see a lot of just humanity in David. So God, I can completely relate that there are people in this room, myself included, who are grappling with things of, God, I just don't know if I can push through this to know you the way I want to. Or maybe it's just there's a cold distance between our heart and yours, and we're not even sure where to start. God, I'm asking you, would you supernaturally allow us to be drawn into your presence? 
would you place an insatiable hunger inside of each one of us to encounter you, the living God, that we would know you for who you are and allow ourselves to be fully known. I'm praying for restoration through this process in our relationships, relationships within our home, within our families, God, with friends and coworkers, with people that we need to go back to from years past and make some things right. God, I believe that as we encounter you and are before you, Lord, you're going to begin to bring this healing. Lord, we receive that. We thank you for your faithfulness, God. We thank you that you never leave us. We thank you, God, that you fight our battles. We don't have to take things into our own hands. We don't have to dishonor your name. But God, we can simply get out of the way and let you be. We thank you, Father. With every head bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, please. I'm going to ask that if you feel like this morning, I just need a fresh start, Michael. I just need to, I need a clean slate. I want a heart that is after God's, but I feel like my heart is so hard. Don't even know where to begin. If that's where you're at, would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. If you've been down this path before and you're saying, Michael, I've, I've been there. I've worshiped the Lord. I know that he's real. I know that what he can do, but I'm just not feeling it now. It's been a few years. It's been a while. I would like to be revived in that way. Would, would that happen again in my life? Could I, could I be a person that is after God's heart the way that I once was? If that's where you're at, I, would you just raise your hand up with me right now? Thank you, thank you. Yes. I think all of us could identify with with David in much of his life, but I'm going to pray right now over all of us that, Lord, you would baptize us with a spirit of freedom to be able to know you as a child. I believe it was because of David in his young adolescence that he was so free and his ability was, was fresh. God, right now, would you help us as adults? just to be able to lay aside some mindsets and some things that are holding us back. What's appropriate, what, what I can and can't do because of what's happened in my life up to this point. God, right now, we just lay that aside. And I thank you for the spirit of freedom that is coming on each one of us. We're going to experience this with a newness, a freshness. And you're planting seeds in us, God, that we will, we will water. We will tend the soil. We will, we will till up this ground, oh God. And we will say, Lord, I desire you again. Would you bring that again? Would you awaken love again? Awaken us, oh God. We thank you for your love for us. You're a good, good father. Amen.